0: the story in a couple different settings and they said that they couldn't have been born twins and had a better match for kidneys and we look at that story and it just sounds so awesome and so wonderful heaven is not on this earth except in how christ abides in our heart let's get real for a minute now think about what i'm saying here we want to follow christ And I love how Tony said it, that that the will of God will not take you where His grace will not sustain us. And sometimes it's going to be trouble. You see, it looked like the the story was going to be victory there, didn't it? Tony... He got his kidney and things were getting better. But listen, what would happen is less than a year, he would get acute pneumonia and he would die of pneumonia. So does that mean that God is not good or does that mean that God is great? We have to decide that because that's the question the world keeps asking. If God is so good, then why did he let that happen? How come I couldn't claim a scripture and and say something and make it all better? Because listen, I want you to know today that heaven is going to be beautiful, but it ain't here. Amen. The kingdom of God can reside in our heart and in our spirit, and we can carry heaven with us, but we are going to go through trials, we're going to go through troubles. Why? Because sin has dominated this world, and Satan runs to and fro, and this world is not our home. You see, the fact is, is we want to we claim the Christ and, and, and claim all the beautiful promises, but we want to feel at home here. And it's going to be at a time where the church is going to have to decide, am I going to be at home here, or am I going to long for the home that Christ has prepared for us? Amen. see, the fact is, sin has taken its toll on this world. But we can still claim victory, and I can tell you today that Tony Green had victory. It just wasn't here. Because here is not where salvation is completed. See, I want to tell you today, and make you understand, we we use the term saved. I was saved. I like the term. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. But it's a past tense word, isn't it? I was saved. I'm going to tell you what I was. I was sanctified and set aside... Chosen by God. And my salvation will be completed when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ and when He opens the book and think about all that I have done in my life and all the times that I have sinned against God. But when He opens the book and they call out my name, Thomas Wesley Hoffmaster II, even though all that I've done against Him, against my fellow man and against God Himself, when they open the book, they ain't going to be able to find anything. Why? Because my sins are under the blood. Then will my salvation be... Completed, amen. Now, if you have your Bibles open, the Revelation chapter 5, I know you thought that was going to be the end. I was going to give alt calls, not going to happen. Revelation chapter 5, let's look at it. If you have the My Custom Church app, then you will have uh, all of these scriptures today uh, in there all ready for you. They make it nice and easy for you to follow along. Revelation chapter 5. Uh, if you want a copy of the scripture references and all that, because we're going to go through it fairly quickly, if you'd like to have the scripture references, uh, then not only is it on the My Custom Church app, but if you go to our website, Brian uh, puts the, the not only the, the recorded messages up, but he also puts the outlines there as well, so you can see how horrible my outlines are. Sometimes you can see how far off my outline I went. Uh, when you listen to the message and then see my outline, you'll be like, where did he even... How did he do that? Right? Uh, sometimes the Lord just leads us a different way. Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Let's stand together uh, as we read God's Word. Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 1, says this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is... "'Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? "'And no one in heaven on earth or under the earth "'was able to open the scroll or to look into it. "'And I began to weep loudly.'" By the way, that's a a word in the Greek, uh, palos, which means greatly or wailing. So when he says he started to weep loudly, I want you to think of someone who's lost everything and just wailing. I mean, I'm talking beyond cry. I'm talking desperate. There's nothing else for me wailing. What am I gonna do in complete desperation? That's what John is doing here. Remember that John has been called up to heaven in chapter four. He was brought up and now he was able to see the worship that was in heaven. He was able to see God's throne radiating as a rainbow with emerald, uh, the the green glow uh, there. And he got to see the seraphims that were flying around crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God almighty who was and is and is to come. And he got to see this beautiful picture. But now this scroll has now been presented. And with this scroll presented, now we see John, uh, now he's weeping loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we ask you, Lord, to be with us today in your word. Lord, I pray that, Lord, I know that your word will do what it set out to do. We know that it will accomplish what it is set to accomplish. It will not return void. So we preach your word today, Lord, with confidence and with authority, not that it is of our own, but knowing that your word stands for itself. And today we stand upon it. Father, I pray, Lord, that this will be nothing about me today. Uh, Father, I pray, Lord, that that everything that we say, do, sing, whatever. Father, we pray that it is all done, Lord, for your glory and that it will be pleasing to you. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all could be seated. You see, I think it's real important when we started talking about in our teachers' meeting uh, about still yet, even in churches that have great teen programs and that have all these things for kids, still yet in those churches that, that have these full-time uh, uh, children's pastors and all these other things, still yet. It's amazing that 70% of, uh, of children when they turn adult age will walk away from the church within a year. 70%. Fadi Bokum did ask the question, then what about the 30% that stays? Why did they stay? We keep focusing on why the 70% left and thinking that we need another program or something else. The 30% that stayed was the 30% that was instilled about God's importance in the home by mom and dad. Those are the ones who stayed. The ones whose mom and dad love the Lord and teach them in their home and take the, the responsibility in Deuteronomy chapter six, they take it very seriously. Those are the 30% that stay. It's not the one who has fun in church. It's not the one who doesn't have to sit in the preaching and listen to the loud preacher uh, preach and, 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 and snot and yell and everything else. It's not those folks. It's not the ones that have a fun time at church. They're not the ones that are staying. It's the ones that mom and dad instills in them the importance of God and being in his presence and teaches them to revere God and reverence him and his holiness. Those are the ones that are staying, amen? And that is what we want to concentrate on here. We can have fun and we can do those things. But listen, the most important thing we'll do when it comes to the church work today is the preaching of God's word. Amen. And you as parents teaching your children to pay attention and not to be, you know, allow themselves to be distracted by everything else. The world has got all these distractions out there but they need to understand the the beauty and honor that God has given us that he said if we gather in his name that he would be here and that's why we were here today. The church is not the institution of man. People keep saying that. that men, no, men created denominations. The church is ordained by God. Amen. The church. And we're all a part of the church. Denomination is man's little differences here and there. But listen, I can tell you this, uh, that there ain't going to be no denominational section in heaven. Amen. It is the church. Amen. And those who believe in the blood of Christ, that He was the Son of God, that He came, that He was crucified. Amen. That He was buried in the tomb, and that He arose again, and it is by His name, and His name alone are we saved amen that is the church today are you a part of the church i'm not concerned with your child having fun here i just want you to know that that is not my focus it will not be the focus i like to have fun with your children we will do fun things we've had some of the best nerf dart war that you've ever seen in this building we're still finding them but that's not during service the word is important and so I don't want to be one who takes away from that. So what does that look like for the future? I don't know. But I know this, I want to be pleasing to God. I'm not worried about, I'm not worried about winning some kind of, I don't know, a nice guy to be around award or anything like that. I'm not worried about being the most popular. Because if you haven't seen that this world is getting worse by the day, if you haven't seen that people are leaving in droves, if you haven't seen people are preaching and, quote, in the name of God and delivering falsehoods, and people are buying it hook, line, and sinker, they do it in the name of God. Telling them that, you know, God's okay with with how you live. God's okay. He doesn't really want to see you. You know, he's not coming here to change you. He loves you. No, listen, God does love you like you are. He died for you like you are. Romans 5.8 assures us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But listen, an encounter with Christ will not leave you the same. And if it does, then I question today whether you had an encounter with Christ. He didn't come and give his life so you could live in an unrighteous, unholy way. He said that I am holy, so be you holy. That's what he said. So now back to Revelation chapter 5. So John's been caught up in the heaven. He's seen the beauty of the worship there. He's seen the 24 elders. Again, there's some things that we don't know, some things we cannot explain. And we cannot let the things that we explain, to take away from the things that are clear to us. It's not clear who the 24 elders are, but we do know that regardless of who they are, they cast their crowns and fell down before Almighty God and they worshipped. Some people think that it's some of the Old Testament saints, some of the prophets. I don't, I don't know who it is. And honestly, I don't think that's the important part because if it was important for us to know who it was, God would have told us. What's important is what they did. They took their crown of victory and did not hold it as glory to themselves, but they cast their crowns. By the way, that's where the group got their name. They cast their crowns at at the feet of our Lord, at his throne, and they bowed and they worshiped. You know what goes on in heaven every day, all day? Worship. You see, if you want to have a little bit of heaven on earth, guess what you need to do? Worship. Worship. Serving Christ is not about having it easy here. Jesus told his disciples that the world hated me, they're going to hate you. So the real question comes, if the world doesn't hate us, now listen, I'm not a perfect Christian either. I like being popular just like you do. I don't always use the right words. I don't always say the right things. I'm just like you. But there's got to be something different about us. And even... Even in all that I've done wrong, somehow, still yet, God allows people to, to come to me and be able to talk to them about life and about their issues. And God's given me great influence to some folks. And I don't know why, but I'm thankful for it. I don't want to use it unwisely. But I want us to just look this morning. It's very important that we understand a few uh, fundamentals here because then you'll see why we entitled the message from weeping to worship and and why I, I played the video of Tony uh, and his beautiful testimony and then burst your bubble right after it but you should have seen your faces by the way you talking about a big letdown you should have seen your faces they were all beaming then when I told you, you daddy went like it's not fair It's like that movie that ends, and it didn't end with a good thing. When the bad guy wins at the end of a movie, don't you hate movies where the bad guy wins at the end? You're like, there's got to be a sequel. Something's got to happen. It can't go like that. Well, I want you to know this. Judgment's coming, and the bad guy gets what he deserves. But let's look at it. So what made John weep? Let's talk about that. And let's look at that uh, this morning in the Scripture. It says that, that you know all this praise was going on, Then now all of a sudden there was this scroll that was written. And the Bible says it here that it was written on and on the back. By the way, they typically didn't write on the back of scrolls. So this made this scroll unique. And so what is it about this scroll? Because when this scroll was brought out, suddenly there was no one who was able to break the seals. It was sealed with seven seals. By the way, when you start reading in chapter 6 uh, on through in, through 19 and 20, uh, you'll see that that as they enter this great tribulation, these these seals are broken, and there's some things that happen now uh, after this, and this is the, the end time. This is an, an apocalyptic book, if you will, uh, that has this end time prophecy. We don't understand all of it, but we need to take in what we can, and so there's this scroll, and something about this scroll. When this scroll was brought out, and it was sealed, in other words, they could not open it they couldn't see what was in it unless the seal be broken the problem was is they couldn't find anybody worthy to break the seals and because of this john started to weep and wail so there must be something very special about this scroll and i'm going to give you three perspectives about this scroll the first one is this to the greek this this scroll when we look at it from the greek perspective we see it as a court document if you will a last will and testament. You see, the only one that could break the seal is one who is actually family, one who is in the will, one who, who, who actually is able to prove that they're of their kinship. To know that, and to be able to then break open this seal, it has to be somebody uh, notable and has to be done in the court of law, if you will. They can't just grab the thing and just go open it willy nilly. There are things that have got to be followed here. But this this can't be broken until, first off, the one who actually had it sealed, the one who who wrote their last will and testament, that person had to have died first. And so unless that person has been killed or, or died of whatever, it can't be opened. It's only upon death are they able to open it. My dad has a will. And in his will it says that upon death, I... It willed his bank accounts in his house. But then he wrote an error, got a share of It supposed to mean that I'm supposed to distribute it accordingly and all this other stuff. And so think about this, and I want you to think about someone had to die for this document to be brought out, and before its seals could be broken, we've got to see the death and also the kinship. Can you can you understand? Now let's look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 through 14. Don't have to worry about turning there. I'll just read it to you. It says in him we have obtained a what? Inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him you also when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. John sees his inheritance, right? Think about it here today. We know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, that He gave His life. It had to be one first had to die, amen? The first had to die, the kinship of a person to the person who died to be able to open this and Christ serves as both for us he gave his life yet he lives and he has the ability to break the seals for us so that we can have an inheritance our inheritance is guaranteed in heaven amen written down in glory for you and I You see, unless the seals are broken, unless this document is rolled out, the inheritance cannot be given. And John is weeping for his inheritance. But it's deeper than that. You see, also, not only do we see it as the court document, but we also know that this is a prophetic document. And in the prophecy of the things to come, it's not only what you and I inherit. But it's also about the judgment that will be delivered. You know, the word justice is used a lot. We usually hear it in the context today is is there's always an injustice going on, isn't there? We hear about injustice all the time. And we all cry out and we want justice. The problem is, is we've corrupted our own system to the point that can justice really be had? You see, in this world, the answer is no. No because justice as we see it today is about what you can prove and there are people that have been on death row and executed only to find out afterwards and later on that they were telling the truth the whole time that they never did it is that justice no there are other people that should go to jail that do not amen there are people that are absolutely as guilty as guilty can be but they have a technicality somewhere in the law and the law that are written in the land are not perfect even God's law, he says, was not perfect in that it identified sin, but it could not cover sin. Christ came to complete the law, put it and deal with it once and for all. You see, this book is not only about our inheritance, The scroll is not only about our inheritance, but it's also about justice being delivered. By the way, this scroll was mentioned about eighteen hundred years before John saw it in heaven, it's found in the book of Daniel, also an apocalyptic book. In Daniel chapter twelve, verses one through ten, it says, "And at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who is charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble." We usually call it the uh, the seventieth week, if you will, when you do all the math. It says so there shall be, be a time of trouble. Such as never seen since there was a nation at that time. But at the time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. It says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood on the bank of the stream and wanted to... uh, One on this bank of the stream and then one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, and he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever, that would it be for a time, times, and a half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I know this all sounds confusing. Listen, we could just spend all day on just a couple of these verses. I just want you to see the overarching theme. We can talk details in a Bible study. He says, I heard but did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those things are wise shall understand. So why did I read all that? I want you to see that God gave Daniel an understanding of what would happen, but he told him to seal it up. But if you go on to read, or if you actually read the, ver- the chapter before that, you'll get an understanding that this scroll also contains woes to those who are unrighteous. It's about judgment. John was weeping, longing for his inheritance. And John is weeping, longing for justice. Because he knows that in that scroll is inheritance, but also in that scroll is judgment and justice upon the world. I don't know about you, but I long for justice. Too often we see things that happen and we just long for the day that there will be justice, where justice will be paid out for those who are wicked. Now listen, I want you to realize today it's not for us to judge, it's for us to spread the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because you and I, we also deserve justice, amen? You and I deserve hell, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. But can you imagine John seeing that this scroll is right there within reach, but it says no one was worthy to open it. And so since the seals couldn't be broken, the inheritance couldn't be read. And because the seals couldn't be broken, judgment is not dealt out yet. Do you realize today that there is a day of judgment coming? For those who are not uh, accepted by God, for those who have not seen Him as Lord, for those who have not knelt down and called Him Lord, for those who have rejected the gospel call, and we know that there's a general gospel call, but there's also uh, the call of the Holy Spirit to our lives. But those who have rejected the gospel call, listen, they will answer with their lives, but realize today that justice will be rendered. I don't know about you, but that brings me hope. Because when I see the world today where so many are wicked, who can we trust? I see evangelical people attaching themselves to to politicians and it drives me absolutely bonkers when they don't stand for the things that the Word of God stands for or they take the Word and they twist it in such a way and use it for their own personal gain. It drives me insane. And listen, if we look at the world the way it is today, it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. If we look back, when we were born, I was born in 1972. And listen, from 1972, I remember them being a kid and getting into the 80s. All the 80s, the big hair days, y'all remember those? I was a mullet-wearing dude. Chris was, too. We had our mullets. And I see what the world was doing then. And even then, they were talking about perversion and, and, and sex was starting to grow in such a way And now we look at it today and things are just accepted. It can be as weird as the day is long. And people say that not only is it okay, but they say that it's God's fault. Isn't that amazing that they'll take that and they'll twist it? Well, God is a God of love. He is a God of love. But he's also a God of wrath. And if you actually read the book, you'll realize he says more about his wrath in his book I'm talking about all 66 books together. It talks more about his wrath than his love. They don't want to talk about that. And anybody who speaks out truth, anybody who speaks out the truth, they, uh, we're, we're called all kinds of things. We say that, they say that we're intolerant. called bigots just because we stand for the truth and we say that God designed marriage a specific way and that's the number one that we stand you stand for marriages between a man and a woman listen that'll get you derailed as faster than anything because that now which God called in his word as abominable is now accepted and they're saying that God is, a God is a God of love, and if he's going to love, then he has to accept them. Listen, God sees them, and he's willing to save them where they're at, but not to just remain that way. And the same applies to you and I. But they don't want to talk about that. Because if, if they were born that way, Then also, so is the murderer, so is the thief. Isn't it amazing that one side will stand and they'll cry out, listen, I will to tell you, this is how confusing the world has gotten. And this is, this is all relevant to this, by the way. This is how crazy the world has gotten. The left will cry out. And you better not kill any animals. I mean, you kill an animal, you all, listen, You're going straight down. How dare you kill a nice little fuzzy beautiful animal? They cry out against the death penalty. They say the death penalty is wrong. It's cruel and unusual punishment. But yet in the same breath, they will defend abortion and say that it's a woman's right and that that beautiful child that has a heartbeat is not yet a human being that is worthy of protection. You tell me the world's not confused? You're telling me justice is being done today? But let me, now listen, before all you right-wingers get on your high horse, let me flip it around. The right-wingers will say this. I know what you're, you're trying to figure out where I wing, Right? You got left wing and right wing you're trying to figure out where i'm going to wing after this i'm gonna tell you where i'm winging the right wing says this you've got to protect unborn life you've got to protect it with everything that is in you they say that that life begins at conception and that we have to protect this unborn life with everything that is in us, absolutely. But you know what happens on the right wing? If somebody makes the decision to keep that baby, then where is the care for her then? Where is the care for that child once it's born? Where is our our people opening up their doors to to these kids who actually need help now because mama chose life, but she's broke and can't even get out of the pit that she is in? Where is that care then? We say life begins at conception. What about the rest of life? You see, true pro-life is from conception to grave. How can we shake our fists and say that abortion is wrong, but then not yet give of our time and our resources and even our finances to take care of those who need help? It gets even better. If we know that our justice system is corrupt, how can we stand for the death penalty? Now you really want to know where I stand at I'm not a right-winger or a left-winger. You know what I am? I'm winning my way home. That's what I'm doing. One page of that Bible at a time. You see, there isn't a political party that can stand up to my God's truth. we got to stand for what's right no matter who's affiliated or not. That's what the church needs to do. But instead, we see now even evangelicals attaching themselves to political parties that stand for things that the Bible is against. I know what you're thinking. Oh, the Bible makes provision for capital punishment. Go through Leviticus. Yeah, I understand what you're reading. But if you want to go live under Levitical law, go ahead. There's some things you don't understand about Levitical law. You see, what you don't understand about Levitical law is they were living at the time... Under a theocracy. A theocracy means that God was government and that He appointed judges. But do you remember when the adulteress was brought to Jesus? Do you remember what He did? Under Levitical law, what would He have done? But what did Jesus do? He didn't put her to death. You see, the law was written in, in, in the infancy of God's people so that we understand how God feels about these things. Does God hate divorce? Yes. Does God hate adultery? Yes. How do I know that? Because when I look back at his law and how he establishes people, it is very clear when I look at his laws how God feels about these things. But the problem is they just looked at the law, and they didn't look at God's heart in the law. And that's when Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount... It, you say that thou shall not murder, but I'm telling you that if you call someone a fool, which means that they're void, they're void of, of any worth, that you're in danger of hellfire. What was Jesus saying? You just look at the letter of the law and you're not looking at God's character in the law. When we know that we a system that is corrupt, how can we stand for something knowing that the system is messed up? How can we stand for something when it's very clear that the system is so lopsided? It's lopsided in that the rich are able to get either a lower sentence or to get out from underneath of it at all. And minorities are almost assured a longer sentence but minorities are almost guaranteed a longer sentence. It's been proven, a longer sentence, and they're almost sure to get the guilty verdict because they can't afford the type of lawyers it takes from the rich who can afford these kind of things and have influence over people who can get them out of trouble. Our system is broken. Why are you saying all this? Because John shouldn't be the only one weeping. Should he? People say that racism doesn't exist. I witnessed it yesterday. I witnessed it at an auto parts store. Because the more I pray and the more I read and the more I ask God about these things, the more he's opened my eyes. And I saw two young men who did nothing but walk in, looking for a part, get treated differently than I did. That is wrong. And when I see these things, my heart should be broken. When I see these injustices go on, my heart should be broken. I shouldn't look at it, well, it doesn't affect me. No, listen, it does. Because we should never rejoice at someone else's calamity. We should never pronounce judgment on anyone else. But you and I should be concerned about the welfare and about true justice. This document presented an inheritance, but it also represented justice that will be poured out. Because Satan is running to and fro, and he is, he is using all of his devices The Bible says in the end times, people will call that which is evil, good. And we see that happening on a daily basis, don't we? The world is more wicked today than it was when I was a teenager. I'm telling you, having children in today's today's world is is, almost scary. And some people say that the world is so scary, I'm not going to have children. Well, listen, that's wrong too. Why? Because the only thing that is going to spread hope is Christ. And we are to multiply the church amen and where is the first where's the first place to evangelize in our homes and god's plan of spreading hope to the nations it starts in the home it represented inheritance it represented justice we should long for justice And that takes us into the other part, the third part. You see from a Hebrew perspective, this this scroll that was sealed is also something they were very familiar with and how they treated land and deeds to property. You see, from a Hebrew perspective, they would have looked at this and they would have, they would have saw that scroll. And the first thing that would probably would have popped in their mind was that was a, a deed and trust to land. Let me just read how they treated land back then and you'll maybe get a better picture of what I'm saying. In Jeremiah chapter 32, starting at verse 6, it says, Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, and behold, Hanamel and the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, Buy my field that is in Ananoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then Hananel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard, and in accordance with the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field that is at Ananoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself." Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord, and I bought the field at Ananoth from Hamamil, my cousin, and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on the scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase, containing the terms and conditions, and the open copy— And I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Meshiah, in the presence of Hanamiel, my cousin, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. Then later on down there in verse 14, it says, For him to take these deeds, both the sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware vessel that they may last for a long time. Let me explain to you how land worked back then. If I got hard up for money and I had to sell a piece of land... I can sell that piece of land to you. But there would be two deeds. The one would be the open deed that we see here. The other one would be the sealed deed. So what does that mean? There would be an open deed that the, owner of the land would have. That if anybody says, hey, who owns this piece of land? I got the deed in trust right here. If you've ever bought a house, you'll have a deed to it. Now, if, you, if the bank owns your house and they just let you live in it as long as you pay the payments. You will have a copy of the deed, but the bank holds the deed. Until you get done paying for it, then you get it. So that's something that we're kind of familiar with. But we see here in uh, in the Hebrew way of doing things, they would have two deeds. One would be the one that was open, one would be one that is sealed. Well, what's that got to do with it? You see, the fact is, is that if I sold land... How God had constructed it, if I sold land, I could sell it to you, but my family had the right to come and redeem it back into the family. It was called the kinsman redeemer. You see, I could sell that land off. I could go to Carl and say, Carl, I'm as broke as a judge and i got to sell some land to get some money to feed my family. And Carl's like, all right. And we'll have to we'll, we'll agree on a price that he's going to pay for the land. And when it's all said and done, we'll end up with two deeds. Carl will have two deeds. He'll have the, the one that is open that in case anybody asks who owns this land. Carl said, I can own it. But listen, he'll have the sealed deed that has on it the instructions and the price to redeem it back. If someone in my family wants to go and redeem it back for the family's sake. We see that story played out in the book of Ruth. If you read the book of Ruth... Ruth had a uh, her mother-in-law, Naomi, if I remember right. So Naomi had two daughter-in-law. Ruth, Ruth traveled back home with her, but the other one didn't. And Ruth says, "Wherever you go, I'm going to go." And so Ruth went back to the land of her people. And you see, there was a trek of land there that belonged. And her and, and her name or belonged to her family at one point, and it was sold off. But then there was this there was this family member. There was this family member named Boaz. And, and Boaz he, he took a liking to Ruth. And he explained to Ruth the customs of the Israelites and said, Listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to lay at the feet of Boaz. Because Boaz has the ability, and Boaz can claim to be the kinsman redeemer. But there was one or two other family members that had the possibility. Boaz goes to them and says, hey, do you want to redeem this land so that Ruth will have a heritage for her family? And they didn't want it. And after they turned it down, then Boaz was able to go redeem the land. And you know what would have happened when Boaz finally would have went to landowner that owned the land that used to belong? To Naomi's family, they would have taken the scroll that was sealed and they would have broken the seal. And in that scroll would have told them what had to be done to redeem the land back into the family. We call Christ our what? Redeemer. You see, this is about an inheritance, it's about judgment, and it's about redemption. He is our redeemer. to scroll and John is weeping because there's no one there and no one's worthy to break this to redeem this world who has fallen to Satan and of the devil. And so, John is looking down and he's seeing hopelessness. John is looking down and he's every victim of murder. John is weeping for every girl that was stolen in tra- sex trafficking. John is weeping for every person that's, that's ever been done hurt in some way. He's weeping over all of those of us who've, who've experienced, uh, experienced the death of a loved one. John is weeping for the effects of sin that has had on this world. And without one who was to break the seal, there is no inheritance, there is no judgment, and there is no redemption. The world should be weeping because unless they see Christ and who he is, they have no hope of redemption they have no hope of an eternal inheritance and the only thing they have looked look forward to is eternal judgment. The church should be weeping like John wept. But our weeping should be out of sincere love because while we yet weep, we need to worship. You see, we know that man was given dominion over all the earth. In Genesis, we see that in very, just chapter 1 of Genesis. God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the, uh, of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, and every living thing that moves on earth. Man was given this, but what did he do? Man was given so much, and he was put in a perfect world, but that was not good enough. And Satan, the deceiver, deceived them into thinking that God was withholding something from them because he would not allow them to eat from the tree of good and evil. They were allowed to eat of the tree of life. But they traded that for what they thought was going to make them like God. And they took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and God drove them out of the garden and out of his presence. Man handed over his dominion and allowed Satan to use his trickery. Since then, Satan's been running to and fro. Man forfeited his right. I believe in that scroll holds the deed to all of mankind and to this earth. We know that this world belongs to Satan. Some people would disagree with that. But I take you to I take you to Matthew chapter four. We see something happen here in the in the trying of Jesus, where Jesus was tempted. In Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 8, it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to them, All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Do you see that, what he said? He showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to them, All these things I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus never disputed Satan's ability to do that. You see, Jesus' Jesus' retort was not, you don't have the ability to give me that. Jesus instead said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Chuck Smith said this in, in one of his sermons. He said, I believe that if we were to hold an election today, where Jesus would run against Satan. With Jesus offering eternal gifts to come and Satan offering things now, Satan would win in a landslide victory. I agree. I agree because even us as Christians, we fall prey sometimes to wanting things now. Got to have it now. Now. What about now? Now. How about now? Now. I need it now. Now. I want it now. Got to have it now. We even have people that say that they, that they follow the word of God and they even write books saying have your best life now. That is not consistent with scripture. By the way, Satan knows scripture. Satan will use scripture. He'll twist it. When he told Jesus to cast yourself down because it is written that he will, I forget exactly what he it, but he will bear you up lest you cast your foot against a stone. Psalms 91. He was telling him to tempt God. Throw yourself down. God says that he'll take care of you. Throw that verse out there at him. And Jesus said what? Well, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. This world this world is has a hold over it. Satan is, is just deceiving people left and right. And we've seen that creep into the church because Peter warned us that there would be, there would be the days were coming where there would be false teachers and people that would preach to itchy ears that wanted to be tickled. Jesus told his disciples in the upper room discourse when they were in the upper room. After they'd had the, the Last Supper, after they had broken a bit, uh, when Jesus, before they would break the bread and, and have the Last Supper, but they were in that upper room, what we call the Upper Room discourse. It starts at John fourteen, right? You know the ver- John 14 one, right? In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place that where I may be, you may be also. While he was telling them that. We see 14, I think, all the way up through 19, and we call it the upper room discourse. That would conclude with Jesus instituting what we call the, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. Jesus said this, he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So listen, we've got we to come clean. We're faced with the decisions to make of whether to be in God's house or to, or to do something else. I'm not talking about vacation. But when we're, when we're given these decisions, the choice that we make makes it clear who we're trying to be pleasing to. And the thing is, is the church, if it does not stand up and say, listen, world, I mean, I like having friends. The Bible says to have friends, you must show yourself friendly. People use that in the wrong context, by the way. You know what really the Proverbs really talking about? Is that to, to have friends, you've got to show yourself friendly and do things their way. Because those people love you for you, they'll love you for what you can give to them, or they'll love you because you make them laugh, or because you have a comment, whatever the, you know, whatever else it may be. But when all of a sudden you take a stand that goes against their values, or goes against what they believe, you will find yourself out of a friend. And for us to have a bunch of friends sometimes actually wreaks havoc in our life. I'm not saying not to have friends, but listen, I want you to, to know that, that people of a, of a feather should flock together, Amen. We should be supporting each other and our friendship and our strongest bonds should be inside the church, not outside of the church. It doesn't mean that we're not friendly with them and that we don't do things with them and we need to to be there in, in an evangelistic effort to show them that we love them and that we care. But when it comes time to be wanted and accepted and loved by the world versus being accepted by God and doing what he's commanded us to do, God needs to win, amen, in our hearts. Now we see John weeping, right? You see why he's weeping? We saw Jesus come, and those people who should have applauded his, his appearance instead did what? Crucified. We see the world getting worse. And the only hope that we have is in Jesus Christ. That is the only hope. That is the only thing that will last. The only thing worth placing our trust, hope in is, is Jesus Christ. The world will let you down. Satan will make you happy for a little while, then he'll kick you to the curb, and it'll be the big thing. All the things that we like to do, it may give us pleasure, and it may make us happy, and it may nothing be wrong with doing them just in general. But when we put something before God, then we are having another God before him. And and God said this, there shall be no gods other than me. There shall be no gods before me. John's looking down at the earth, I'm sure. And he's realizing that this world is getting worse and worse. And that there is no real true justice. And that there is no hope unless these seals can be broken. Because within this scroll holds our eternal inheritance. The deed to the earth and pronounced judgment and true justice. Everything that we want is held here. And John didn't see anybody who was worthy to open it. And so therefore, all he's seeing is a scroll. But then something happened. His weeping changed. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. It says in between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes. These are the numbers of completion, which are the seven spirits of God set out upon the earth. And when he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated at the throne, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp with golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. You see, without Christ there is no hope. Without Christ, John weeps. But behold the Lamb. Oh, church, you've got to get better than that. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Who's appeared as this had been slain. You see, the one who died for our inheritance also lives again and is worthy to break the seal. John was weeping over all the turmoil that sin has caused. The, 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 the murders, the the stealing, the, all this the horrible things that are done in the earth every day. When I was thinking about this, I stood out on that fire escape the other night and I was thinking it was just maybe a year or so ago right up in Randy and Brenda's neighborhood that a mother out of her selfishness and desire to get back against her ex-husband took the life of her own daughter and the older one had to jump out a window to escape. That's what the world has turned to. And listen, John is weeping for every little victim, for everyone who's ever suffered the wrath of evilness. And without someone to open the scroll, there is no hope. But listen, behold the Lamb, amen. Listen, Baptist, when he saw Christ for the first time, he said what? Behold the Lamb that takes away the sin, amen. One is worthy and His name is Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb. By the way, there was a little nugget in here. I don't know if you saw that. It said the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. God holds my prayers in a golden bowl. You ever felt like your prayer didn't get nowhere? If you're one of His... Folks, I want to tell you to get somewhere. You ever got a card? I have a hard time throwing cards out. You know what I mean? Sal gives me one of them birthday cards with all that mushy stuff in it. And well, yeah. Well, that's good, baby. I appreciate that. I don't know what to do with it. I want to throw it away because it represents love. It represents adoration that my wife has for me. She adores me. She does. I ain't making no joke. My wife adores me. I'm not sure why, but I'm thankful. And so when I see this card of adoration, I, I can't throw it away. And I guarantee you, you go out here in some boxes that we have of my stuff, you'll find cards everywhere. By the way, when you give us a card, like, you know, Pastor Appreciation Month and all that stuff, I I can't throw them away either. There's something special about that. But folks, I can't believe for a minute that I am so soft and so special that I'm the only one that views it that way. I believe I get it from the Father. I believe it's an inherited trait from God himself because when you say wonderful things, and when you tell me that you love me, that you affect me and that you're praying for me, I can't throw that away. Why? Because there's something special. You said that. And sometimes when I'm mad at you, I'll get your card out and I'll remember how you used to be. I remember when they loved me once. Sure hope they like it. I hope they get like that again. found some of my mother's stuff and some other stuff were cards my dad had given to her special words you know god loves you like that see your prayers were represented in the old testament by the incense that they would that they would that they would burn in the tabernacle that incense goes up like a sweet savor And it says here that the prayers of the saints are stored in these bowls, like a sweet fragrance of incense. There's never been a prayer that God's people's prayed that hasn't been stored up. He doesn't throw your cards away. He doesn't pitch them out because his heart is a lot softer than mine. And I know if I feel that way, He feels that way, but I'm guaranteed he feels that way because he made sure that John saw this. He keeps your prayers. He loves you. Your prayer may have felt like it only hit the ceiling, but I want you to know that it went up before God. He doesn't throw them away. He's got every little note. I imagine the first notes that we write to God in our prayers are like them notes that are written with that pack of eight crayons. Y'all know them big crayons when you kid? You first writing like this. Y'all remember when you started writing your name? You didn't hold the, the crayon right? You know, because I, I imagine that some of the prayers I prayed when I first come to Christ and was just a babe in him, I'm sure my prayers looked like with one of them big Crayolas. But then as I started to know him a little better, I, I started to look maybe like a box of 64 that had that sharpener back. He's getting a little better, a little more colorful. Sometimes I know now that as we grow in Christ, maybe it looks more like. But you know, it doesn't matter to him. He keeps all of them. Every little note of love that you've ever prayed to him, every little note of concern and desire, everything that you've ever brought before God is being stored. Not only that, You know that God keeps your tears in a bottle. Psalms 56, verse 8 says, You have kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? He keeps my prayers and he keeps my tears. so vast and so huge yet he knows us on a personal level but i want to remind you something god hears the prayers of those who belong to him he hears the prayers of the righteous i want you to understand something prayer is reserved for the children of god some people say they pray but if they're not a child of God, and they haven't accepted Him as Lord, they may make themselves feel better by praying. But that's reserved for God's children. I see all the time on things like social media, Facebook, I'm praying for you. I know so many people very well. I know that they don't profess to know Christ, and when you ask them, no, I'm not a Christian, no, I don't serve Him, well, why would you pray to them then? But John chapter 9, verse 31 says, We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to Him. We live in a world today where everybody is spiritual. I like this one. Have you seen this one? Sending prayers and good vibes. Good vibes. Sounds like you need to be on the Partridge family bus. Wearing some tie-dyed. Eating them crazy mushrooms or something. Good vibes. Good vibes don't change the world. Prayers of the saints to Almighty God change them. Let's go down to verse 9. Almost done. It says, and they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne. chapter 4, John's called into heaven. He gets to see the worship around a throne. Then he's presented with a scroll. And at the thought that this scroll couldn't be opened, John openly and bitterly wept. Because without that scroll being opened there is no justice, there is no inheritance, there is no redemption. But then the land, the land of Judah, The Savior of the world. All of a sudden, John sees him, and now worship breaks out. Weeping turns into worship. When we worship that which is right and holy, we worship things of this world, all we'll get is contempt, all we'll get is hurt, and we'll never be satisfied. But today, I can have hope. You see, now I'll tell you why I showed you the video with Tony Green. It was so easy to get caught up in thinking that Tony was just going to live now many, many years. And life was going to be great with him and Taranda and the kids. They got two little girls. And it looked like life was going to be great. Tony got his kidney. Everything was going to be wonderful. They got an extra 10 months that Tony may have not gotten without that kidney. And when we thought that Tony was going to get better and then, you know, and all was well, the end. We thought that it was going to be like some movie where they ride off into the sunset and that's not what happened. But listen, I want you to know that Tony got the ultimate victory. You see, Tony left this world prepared to meet God and he then got to see him face to face that which he had longed for by faith. That which he had believed without seeing, he now gets to see with his very eyes the glory of God and worship around the throne. You see, Tony had victory, why? Because worthy is the lamb who was slain. Too often we weep for our own selves. Because we forget that worthy is the lamb. But also too often we don't weep at the effects of sin. You see, we have people blame God every day for for death, don't we? Why did God let my grandma die? Why did God let my mom die or my dad die or whatever the case may be? Why did God let that happen? You're blaming the wrong one. You want to blame someone? Blame someone that has dominion over the earth right now. Blame someone who who, who calls death to come into existence through his deception and deceiving ways. Why blame God? God's offering us eternal life. Not just a few extra years on earth. Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. When Jesus offered when Satan offered Jesus the world, Jesus didn't dispute it. Satan's having his way on this earth. We see the effects of it every day. Death came into this world because of sin. We have hope because the lamb is worthy to break the seal. What does our worship going to look like? Is our worship going to look like that we adore for the life to come? Or shall we come every Sunday, come in here as if the world owes us something or as if things are never going to be right or never be good? Do you realize that everything is going to be perfect because the seal is going to be broken at the right time? We will have an eternal inheritance. Judgment will go forth and perfect justice will be rendered and we will be redeemed forevermore. Are you ready to worship him? Are you ready to lift your voices to him? You see, it's about him. It's not about us. Worthy is the lamb. When they came before God in the Old Testament, they didn't come before God halfway. God gave them exactly how he wanted it done. He said, this is the way it's got to be. He is still the same majestic almighty God as he was in the Old Testament. But I come back to the very question I asked in the beginning of this series was this. Have we allowed the ease of access to God to cause us to be lazy and come before him not prepared? Before we enter this sanctuary, we should go ask we should prepare our hearts and ask God to help us prepare that we may receive the word that we may together with our brothers and sisters the way God has designed this is my quote our ease of access to the king of kings through through Christ's sacrifice on the cross should not cause us to revere him any less than he was revered on Mount Sinai and in the Holy of Holies or as he is revered and worshiped in heaven continuously mindful that he is and it is he who In his presence, and being in his presence is an honor and privilege, and this needs to be taught to our children and our children's children. The world treats our kids like they're adults, especially our teens, they want to be treated as adults, but yet, in terms This is real stuff. The real world is happening. It's time that we prepare our hearts to step up and worship him in such a way that displays our awe of him and our reverence of him. To be revered is to regard with reverence, regarded as worthy of great honor and respect, and to respect with awe. That's A-W-E, awe. time the church quits compromising to compromise in the Old Testament was a guarantee of death what do I mean by that remember when we read about Mount Sinai last week God gave them very specific instructions to step on this mountain man or beast be slain why because it was God's way He was revered. He was respected. We should come in that same way and take our children and our children's children to respect God and be in awe of who he is, worthy as the lamb. Are you ready to worship? Let's stand up.